so far. Um, tonight, we're going to have a chat through uh, the effect COVID-19 has had on teams within software testing. So the effect has had um, so far and how we see things going forwards, um, you know, the, the, the positives, the negatives, etc. cetera. Uh, from there, we've got an excellent panel lined up for you this evening. Um, we're going to be hosted by Nicola Martin. I'll pass over shortly so she can introduce herself. Um, we're going to go through um, a list of questions. Um, obviously, there'll be a discussion between the panelists from that. If anyone would like to ask a question about any of uh, the topics discussed, please just put your questions in the Zoom group chat and we can look to come to those towards the end, um, time permitting. Um, but Nicola, over to you. Thank you, Ashley. Um, hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining this evening. My name is Nicola Martin. Um, uh, just to give you a little bit of background about myself, I've been working in software testing for around 20 years now. Um, I currently work in the AI and data science um, area, and I'm head of quality for a company called Adaga. Um, this evening, we're joined by an a brilliant panel. Um, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves individually. Um, but just to kick off, um, obviously, Ashley's uh, introduced me. We've got Callum Akehurst Ryan, we've got Stuart Day, Dono Grief, Alan Giles, Marie Drake, and Nuri Emanuel. Um, so I'm just going to ask everybody to introduce yourselves individually, just a little bit about yourselves, where you're working and what type of stuff you're working in at the moment, and then we'll hop on to the questions. So if we could start with Alan, please. Okay, thanks. So um, I'm Alan Giles. I'm a QA lead at Zesty, part of uh, Induction Healthcare. Um, I've been in the QA and test zone for about 10 years now uh, in software a bit longer uh, I was in support before so about 15 years um, and I run the the uh, QA team at, at Zesty uh, and we um, in terms of COVID we've been in the thick of it in that um, obviously healthcare digital healthcare particularly is uh, is a um, very uh, is a very big focus for everyone and um, we we provide um, digital solutions for hospitals. So um, obviously we've been overrun in the, in the most uh, recent kind of times. That's me. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Callum Akehurst Ryan. I'm a senior tester at Bloom and Wild and also uh, an awesome dungeon master for Survivors UK. Um, most recently, um, I found that in um, these times, uh, I've had to find a new job. So I've actually gone through uh, the sort of hiring and starting a new QA role, um, actually within the COVID period. So yeah, it's been really interesting. It's me. Everyone, I'm Dono. I'm, I'm a head of software delivery for a printing well, global printing solutions company. Um, I run the QA team, but I also work closely with all the engineering teams as well, ensuring that we're delivering software to a fast and very high quality. Uh, yeah, kind of it. Next. 
Hiya, I'm Marie Drake. I currently work as a principal test automation engineer at News UK. I've been with the software testing industry for um, about seven years now. Um, and at the moment, I'm part of the product platform uh, team at News UK. So we're trying to deliver um, a design system amongst other things. I uh, also write about testing and also test automation um, tutorials at mariedrake.com. And yep, I'm just excited to share my thoughts um, on this panel. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Nuria. I'm a QA lead at Distributed, which is a venture-backed startup providing on-demand uh, remote engineering teams to software development projects for enterprise and SMEs. Um, at Distributed, um, I work on and manage the QA frameworks, testing strategies and test management. Um, and actually prior to working at Distributed, uh, I worked in a diesel engine manufacturing company where I focused on product validation, reliability, and control engineering in hardware and software. So the back in the day, Six Sigma uh, quality assurance side. So excited to be here and excited to discuss this topic. Hey everyone, so I'm Stuart Day. So I'm currently the head of quality at a retail company called Dunelm Star Furnishings. Um, been in software delivery and the quality space for, well, 23 years now. Uh, hence the lack of hair and the, the beard and the grey. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, you know, I thoroughly enjoy it. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Um, one of the interesting things I find is that how in our space, technology changes all the time, therefore we have to adapt. And actually during the COVID times, I think, you know, this is really kind of shone more than ever in terms of ways of working, how we recruit. So many things have been impacted. So it's going to be a really interesting talk. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, everybody, for your intros. Actually, Stuart, what you were just saying takes us very, very nicely into the first question. Um, so obviously, the start of lockdown has been a massive shock to everybody in the public. And obviously, it's been a massive shock to businesses. Um, are you and or any of you, are all of your teams now back in the office or are you still working remotely? And um, are you finding it harder or easier than it was when you were in the office? Or, you know, how have you found collaborating? Is that also harder or easier? So, yeah, I, go for Callum. I think Callum wants to go first. <laughs> yeah, I can jump in on this. So, um, my main specialism um, I'm testing with at the moment is exploratory testing. And uh, one of the key outcomes of exploratory testing is really um, finding information out through the exploring and providing it uh, in a timely manner uh, back to the team. Um, because uh, my whole team is currently remote uh, and uh, we're not working in the same office yet, and uh, I don't think we will be until uh, next year, uh, one of the tricky things is being able to get in there and actually talk through things and collaborate uh, with team members. So specifically uh, finding developers to pair with or debrief uh, that information back to, because uh, especially when uh, people are working from home, they get their headphones on, they're very in the zone and uh, you end up uh, sort of chasing after people to give them information. Um, one of the big things that I found out uh, in this time is taking my own ego out of the equation making sure that just because I found information, it might not be the most important thing to everyone right now. Yeah. So knowing when to sit back on things, you know, knowing I've got that information, so I've got it when you need it and hold back a bit. Yeah. 
Okay, Stuart, um, you're up next. Yeah, I think I think for me, one of the things that when when we when we kind of hit the lockdown period was um, we, we we'd spent a lot of time over the last couple of years really trying to put quality at the centre of everything we do. So you know, build the culture around that and and you know, drive it through the heart. Um, and we we'd come we developed great collaboration. We we uh, created. Um, a real sort of community, not just for our QAs, but for our engineers and our delivery managers and so on to be part of. Um, and when we went into lockdown, all of a sudden we were in this place of, oh, we now need to adapt to work in lockdown. Well, actually what we, we eventually kind of worked out was, well, no, we still need to hold true to our values and our principles, but we need to find different ways to be able to work in the same and deliver the same things. So obviously, you know, there's certain things that, we had to stay, face into you know the remote Zoom thing, you know, in terms of how 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 can we collaborate better over Zoom? We had to go and research more tooling, um, but we didn't want to lose the essence of you know getting around a whiteboard and actually just you know slapping some stuff up and you know having just brain dumping sessions and things like that. It was just thinking about how we could do it slightly differently. So we we went from a oh we need to change how we do things to actually no we don't let's stay how we want, you know, keep doing the things we do and just try and approach them slightly differently using different tools. I think that was the big thing for us really early on that we, we kind of struggled backwards and forwards with. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's key. I think for from, um, my own company, I think I can speak for my team. I think we communicated less with other teams before and found that as soon as lockdown started, we were communicating so much. I've had many conversations where I've been saying to people this is the first time I've really spoken to you and we worked you know um, together for months before that and you know I still didn't really know half of the teams and so now I feel like I really know people and I think that other the, the rest of my team are the same we're really really communicating well with with other teams and it's you know it's a testament to the tools that were available before lockdown that have now come into their own just like zoom for example um, you know, and, and Microsoft Teams to name another one, you know, it's just it's just really, really helped to make this process not as painful as it had to be. Um, but yeah, thanks for that, Stuart, because I, yeah, I think I can identify with a lot of what you were saying. Um, Dono's up next. Yeah. Um, yeah, with us, I'm lucky that I work with in a company where we've got a lot of distributed offices already. Um, so we're global. With that so there was a lot of remoteness to how we worked already and a lot of those good practices in place um, but one thing that certainly was there i mean you still had your offices and people would talk within their clicks within those offices a lot more and all of a sudden that was gone and we found a real sharp increase of everyone talking to everyone and a lot of meeting yeah. massive increase in communication and that was like that massive spike it came down and we actually started being a lot more respectful and aware of what was providing value and what mm -hmm. was just chatter that really sometimes wasn't needed. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, chatter's needed, uh, absolutely, but <laughs> sometimes not. Um, so yeah, we really got into a really good space of how we collaborate and we talk really when we need to. There's no shyness about just reaching out, look, I need your help on this, or I've spotted this, Can you like, could you look at it? There's a lot of that happening and it's across the organization. It's right from the CEO, right down to the most junior employee everyone communicates with everyone now and that's quite fantastic in, in a way we've seen some really good positive impact from this 
yeah, it's been great. Great. Obviously, the virus has been great, but yeah. <laughs> no, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's you want to be happy and say these things have been fantastic, but you know what's happening outside obviously isn't. So it kind of takes the shine off it a bit. Um, Marie. Yeah, so for us, we're still pretty much remote. Uh, most of the engineering teams, they're still working remote. But um, some people like from the delivery or, you know, the leadership team who needs to have that like physical direct conversation, especially if they have like wider meetings. Um, most of them, you know, they've been coming in maybe once or twice a week. But from the engineering side, um, it's still pretty much, you know, working from home. And um, initially, you know, I, I found it hard um, cause, because like if you have kids, like for example with me, my daughter was with me like for the entire period and before she was at nursery and then suddenly, you know, we're all like inside the house and um, it, you know, it just sort of like I had to, you know, make up some new routines and there were times that I couldn't actually focus, you know, at work and had to do some flexible um, time so I could like do some work when like when she's asleep um, so I think that was the bit that I found you know um, difficult but in terms of the actual communication at work um, like same with everyone I also felt that it improved I've been speaking to other people from other teams that I haven't really spoken before and it's just nice you know to have you know that you know that um that communication and I also felt that because we've got like teams on different you know parts of like the world so we've got like one contractor who joined us for a couple of months and he was stuck in Bali yeah. and then we've oh, got wow. a team in um Sofia as well as in India so I felt that you know, um, because before I was just showing, so if I find a bug, I was just showing it to the developers and then writing up the bug report. But now I, I've, I've also been sending like video evidences rather than just writing up, you know, this is the expected result because I felt that the video evidence was really helpful to the developers. And it was actually great because um, the developer that I was working with who was um, stuck in Bali just said that, you know, the videos are um, were really helpful. So we were able to sort of fix like all the issues um, that we found. And I think in terms of team um, like stand-ups, we've been doing some interesting stand-ups as well. So um, one of our Scrum Masters, um, she did this like game where you have to guess, you know, um, everyone's desk. And then you also have to um, like draw like your colleague, which was um, really fun. And then we also did um, like two truths and one lie. So I think that brought um, the team much more um, closer compared to before, which is, which is always positive. Do you think that that will be lost when you go back to working in offices? Do you think you'll, because that seems like you really, really, mm -hmm. you know, got to know your colleagues. Do you yeah. think that kind of closeness will be lost when you go back to working um, in offices? I don't again? think so, yeah, because we, we still have that, um, that team, you know, based in Sofia. So I think in terms of like future work, even if we're in the London office, like we still have to, you know, um, do some remote meetings with them. So I think it would just bring us much more closer, even if the lockdown is finished. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. That was, that was lovely. Um, Nuria, you're next. 
Yeah, um, I just wanted to say I, I relate a lot to what everyone's mentioned and um, in particular what Stuart said about the importance of maintaining core values. Um, I believe we summarise it very well. We've basically said over communication to an extent is, is key. And similar to Dono, um, as part of our business at Distributed, we're quite accustomed to working with um, remote engineering and, and development teams. It was the core team members who are based in London that basically had to go into a remote way of working. And we noticed from day one that it was important to definitely establish expectations from a communication perspective. So breaking down purposes of meetings and building a stronger system to manage and track the team's work and progress that's worked very well with us. Um, and also making sure to build on our existing documentation. So as mentioned, uh, we already had team members that are already remote, which is the engineering development team. Um, what we did was build on um, the documentation for our delivery processes and metrics. So we knew what to focus on um, more. Yeah. Um, so I agree, um, a bit of over-communication is important. Um, not to say to have multiple meetings, uh, which can happen, you can have an overload of meetings, um, but instead being able to share information with key members, um, such as project updates, strategies, and um, any fires is, is very key and has been yeah. very key and worked very well during this time. Cool. That's brilliant. Um, Alan, you're next. So um, our case was initially uh, we went through quite a few different phases so initially we were highly reactive so everybody had to suddenly get on top of what was going on because with um, our clients being in frontline healthcare obviously the, there was a lot of um, there's a huge amount of not known and a huge amount of um, rethinking that was going on in terms of trying to cope with what what was, what was going to happen or what was happening. And then, um, so we became very, really reactive as a team. Um, we had to be really on top of everything that was going on um, and basically drop all kind of um, medium and long-term kind of projects that we were thinking about and just get straight onto whatever was needed on the spot. Mm -hmm. um, and then we went through another phase where um, we then had to start getting into less reactive and then more into anticipation of what might happen next so um that was quite an interesting thing because where the roadmap for 2020 had been a particular you know like a quite a solid route it suddenly had to switch uh for example there was uh one feature kind of system where we were that was kind of due to go into retirement and then suddenly that became number one uh, focus for the entire group so um you know, it turned things on, on its head in lots of ways. And because um, we were very much, at the one hand, trying to follow what was what was going on at the same time, also trying to be a step ahead of what might happen next. So that, that was a really unusual and interesting kind of experience that we went through as a team because we suddenly had to, instead of saying, well, this is what we're going to do for the next four weeks, we had to start mm -hmm. saying, this is what we're going to do for the next four hours. and And that had to keep zigzagging in different directions while we tried to catch up so um, was that the same all the way through lockdown or just at the start um as i say it was kind of through phases so we initially went through that kind of um highly reactive phase and then we went more into anticipation to try and second guess what was going to happen and then when things started to level out more by by the end of spring kind of start of summer then we started to 
have a better idea of where things were going to go. And then things started to get a bit more sensible in terms of um, how, how the timelines would go. But even now, uh, it's still the case that because it's still not clear what, what, what direction uh, things are going to go, the, the really positive thing to come out of it, to talk of positive things, is that the digitization concept in healthcare has suddenly become oh well we might do it someday or it's a nice to have suddenly it's become well we can't actually exist without having non-physical turning up to appointment options we need to switch and so that's been a really positive aspect that we've been uh, in the thick of and suddenly it's become oh well here is like this option suddenly it's well this is a a requirement going forward so actually Mm -hmm. We've, we've now got quite a big list of, of requests for all sorts of new features and, and fun, uh, functionality that we didn't, it was a harder sell before, maybe let's put it that way. And now it's mm-hmm. a lot easier sell when, when people obviously see the benefit of getting your appointments on your phone, being able to change your appointments yourself with your, with your GP that, or with your, yeah. um, uh, with your dentist or with your uh, NHS uh, specialists, that's obviously such a, a, you know, in in the in the technical world, that's such a basic thing that's been in, in in the, you know, been entirely normal for airlines for twenty years. But to do that with your doctor is still way behind, and so it's actually been a really good boost from from our point of view to to get us more where we wanted to be. So, yeah, that's definitely an upside of of how things. I guess it's helped now you probably as and as staff you probably you know as a qa team you probably understand more about the products now than you did before yeah that too i mean it's more of a case of having to jump on it for Mm. it right yeah yeah definitely have to jump on it yeah um callum you've got your hand up is that is that to say something else with this question or did you want to be first on the next one No, I just wanted to, to jump in just to say, um, with regards to what Donna and Nuri were talking about, um, that over-communication side of things and mm-hmm. uh, having meetings and knowing when to talk, I'm finding um, a lot of my, not just my colleagues, but my friends are getting real burnout from these online talks. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> such a strong psychological impact on being able to see yourself on a screen and not wanting mm-hmm. to look at yourself, but also just the... Um, like we're, we're talking more and with more people than ever before. Um, and especially like in the QA um, side of things, you know, where information is our, is our language. We're, we're having yeah. to talk to people a lot more on um, using tools that are just a bit more alien um, than normal human contact. And, and it, it feels like there's a bigger bar to entry psychologically than yeah. just like a quick chat to someone sat next to you. So that's yeah. a big part of it as well. Just the, the style of communication we're now using. So I think, um, I think the other thing to take to bear in mind, actually to expand on what you're saying about it being, you know, a, a massive energy like draw, you know, is that some people are, you know, introvert and being on camera can be, it's uh, for me, I'm, I, I class myself as introvert, extrovert. And I always, think that being on camera and even doing this after this I'll need to go and have a rest it's like my social batteries are burned out so you know imagine what it was like at the beginning of lockdown for people like me when people wanted you to be on camera all the time um, and it was incredibly hard going it took me a long time to get used to it and even now people probably say I don't go on camera enough (laughs) but it's actually what I can handle um, and I just yeah. advise people to just te- do what you can. If you can just speak in a meeting, just be there. 
you know, we know you're there to speak, you know. But, Definitely. Yeah, so. At Bloom and Wild, we, we made like a company-wide pledge within those first um, like weeks of, of lockdown to, to say about um, how we were going to deal with being online and communicating. Yeah. Um, and we've got it to say, like, be kind to yourself as well as others. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go on camera. Sometimes people are going to walk into the background. Um, you know, do you really need to, to schedule this meeting? And even just as a case of don't bash them up against each other, finish meetings like with, you know, a 10 minute time slot to give yourself recharging yeah. energy as well. Absolutely. I mean, like the, I can hear my little boy coming up the stairs now. And I'm thinking, is he going to come in or is he not? Hopefully he won't. <laughs> that's the type of thing you have to deal with but after a while it was fine and and you know i'm sure for everybody here you know you just people are used to it now it's become the norm if you like new norm um okay so um next question is you know um we've seen a lot of changes in the qa market especially at the beginning of lockdown and um you know it it was actually for us we were hiring and, um, you know, I spoke to a lot of people um, and I, I realized that a lot of people were being made redundant. Um, you know, so there were a lot of changes in, in you know, at the start of lockdown. Um, what changes did any of you notice, um, maybe around the availability of roles um, and other changes to QA? And let's see who's putting their hands up first. Oh, everybody. Dono's first this time. <laughs> right, so I thought I'd jump in there. Um, okay. Yeah, so me personally, my, my direct team that I was line managing, we saw um, a reduction in numbers. Uh, well, it was, wasn't just my team, it was across the company. Um, we saw a 30% decrease across the company. Um, and it was more preservation of the company because we were unsure of what this will do affecting the bottom line. Um, there was some stuff that we had to do and it wasn't just reducing numbers um, mm -hmm. also reducing tooling reducing costs trying to pull back wherever we could um, mm -hmm. so yeah we definitely had some loss of key engineers and, and people that we really enjoyed working with which was sad but at the same time I've also seen in the market um, some really interesting I, I personally thought the quality of jobs and how they were advertised got a lot better because they had to be yeah pull the best people out because the pool was so much wider yeah and also the people applying for those jobs had to be had to think about how they market themselves so much better mm. so you're actually seeing an elevation of everything in that space um the only really bad story i have out of all of those i was helping a friend who was looking at um hiring for a particular niche contract role during the time and she got it was a very junior role to come in and just sort of hang like do the manual side of stuff and she had a person that applied for the role that was like a proper senior like three times the value of the salary that was an offer and she was like yeah. what the hell's going on here it's like i got made redundant i need a job i don't care yeah. and that was yeah. quite sad i was like wow people's value of themselves are like just they don't care anymore they need something and um, i actually thought it was it there was a lot of like um reactive moves when high when people were going for roles um and i just kept thinking if only they could hold out a bit longer something that's more suited to them will come up i, I think i was in my head thinking the market will um you know it's just a knee-jerk reaction it will settle in a month or so but obviously lockdown went on a lot longer 
And so that wasn't the case at all. Um, and, and I do wonder how those people got on, you know, but it's just the, it's just the, you know, it's just the way that things are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Stuart is up next. Oh, are you still, sorry, carry on. I was just going to um, reply to that when you're saying, I see it as that person will probably move on um to somewhere else very soon as soon as they find something else um, they may well have you know it, it wasn't just one person i saw that a lot yeah so you know um i heard stories as well from other people and it was just like wow i hope that these people don't make mistakes and take permanent jobs that are not for them because you know the worst thing you can do is just keep jumping from job to job you know but i get that people were desperate and not sure what was going to happen um and for a little while at the beginning you know for the most part everything went really quiet and i can imagine that it was worse for contractors than it is for perm um but yeah the market was very very up and down at the beginning and it was just like un it was you were just unable to see where it might go um but we'll come on to more of that later i think we'll pick that up later um thanks thanks donna um, Stuart's next. Yes, I think I think one of the I mean lockdowns and, and this whole saga has been going on for months now, and I think it's like everybody's like it's a new norm, and you kind of forget where we were at the point of yeah. lockdown. And so, if we actually think that we had IR thirty five, that was that whole big thing that was going to impact us at the end of April or yeah. whenever it was March, and all of a sudden, guess what? That's gone. And it was like, so, so we as a company were kind of um, um, setting ourselves up to roll contractors off and we got more perm roles and we were in that recruitment phase. And then lockdown hit and we were like, oh, okay, so now what do we do? So we continued to try and recruit to start with, but then realized we had to pause roles. We couldn't do it not with the unknown, um, mm -hmm. but that didn't stop our contractors from rolling off. So yeah. we kind of kept us in a, in a void place where we were trying to, you know, maintain, put us into a maintenance, if you like. Um, but then what we did find when we opened up roles again, kind of like what, what you were saying, Nicola, that we were getting a lot of applicants that it, it was just taking a lot longer for, because there weren't as many roles out there. And you know, we were getting so many applicants. It was, it was, it was really time consuming, but it was really kind of eye opening and, and upsetting in a way because people were, you could see that people were just trying to apply for roles. Yeah. Because they needed a role. And, Even you know, today I saw a role and there were, there was something like 300 people applied for this one test role. Yeah. And it had only been online for a few days. It flashed up on, on LinkedIn. And I thought, I thought to myself, I don't think I ever remember it like that. Yeah. And I think Maybe I the last recession, but I don't, yeah, I don't even think it was like that. Then. Yeah, and I think, I think the interesting thing that I, I found was obviously when, the, when they reversed the IR35 um, side of things, all of a sudden, I think like from a contracting perspective, the contractors that I knew were very much, oh, great, you know, we're, we're going to be in a much better place again. Yeah. And then suddenly realised they weren't, you know, because the roles weren't there and the companies yeah. weren't hiring. So it's been this roller coaster of emotions for so many people. Um, and even if you're not somebody that, you know, I, I've been very lucky and my team have been very lucky that we haven't had to lose anybody and we've, we've continued to hire. Um, but I, I know people that have been affected and I'm sure everybody else knows people that have been affected if they haven't themselves. Mm. So it, it, it plays on your emotions one way or the other. And it's been quite a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah, I know when, when we were hiring in, I think it was March, it was 
I actually got quite emotional after speaking to people. Um, and it was such a, the whole thing was such a, you know, um, energy drain for me. I just felt like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I hope I found the right people because I don't think I can do this again right now. Some of the stories were just so sad and you could see that people were so desperate. You know, I, I, I just couldn't really help anybody. And we had a lot of contractors, for example, applying for permanent roles, you know, and it was very, very, very hard um, at the beginning. And just, I know I used to be a contractor. I was a contractor for um, 11 years. And I just know exactly how they were all feeling. That, that unknown is just, it's, it's gives you sleep, sleepless nights, basically. Not knowing what's going to happen. Okay. Um, yeah, next up, I've got Callum again. <laughs> is that right? Or am I wrong? Am I reading this list yeah. wrong? <laughs> so um, I was one of those unfortunate souls that, that did... Um, lose a role during this period so oh. so I can definitely speak to that um, and what I can say is yeah given the sheer number of people that are going for jobs the anxiety is massive because yeah. suddenly you're so aware of all these people going into like every basic role that's there mm -hmm. and I think um, the response to that especially from companies has either been to create job adverts that now ask for all singing or dancing everything to try and reduce the number we of We call it the unicorn. Yeah, full on unicorn. unicorns. You know, they've yeah. got 15 years of like, 15 years of Java, uh, 270 years of Groovy. Uh, they can do exploratory <laughs> testing. They can lead a team, you know, uh, they can juggle, they can firewalk, they can do everything. Um, and so you've got, and, and that might not even be what the role is for. Um, but that's a way of trying to narrow people out. So that heightens your anxiety as well. And then yeah. coupled to that, again, just the, the, just the rejections that are coming through on this mechanized basis, because um, they're just like, we can't give feedback. No, no, no. That, that amps up your, um, you know, what you're doing as well. So I, I really feel for a lot of people in this, in this time that it just really feels like um, there's just nothing out there. Or even if there is stuff out there and there's just too much competition for it or that companies are just not asking for you. Um, yeah. So it can really feel really hard. Um, like you're saying, people, you know, desperately trying to take things that, that aren't for them. Mm -hmm. But there is generally, and this is what I had to tell myself, there's generally a skill shortage, especially for good um, testers who have that critical yeah. analysis thinking, you know, that can do that. Even if they have a niche, if you're like an exploratory tester, you're not a software developer in test, or if you are a software developer in test and you know three languages, there are going to be roles out there. Um, it's about like just, chilling in some ways and i know the anxiety makes that hard but focusing down on these things uh, because yeah. the roles are starting to pick up uh, yeah i, I was going to say are you still keeping an eye on the market even though you've now got yourself a nice job you know <laughs> are you still keeping an eye on on the market or have you just said thank goodness and you know getting I've, on with it yeah i've kept an eye and i can start to see that roles are starting to diverge a bit it, people are going a bit less unicorn and starting mm -hmm. to be a bit more focused on what they want as well so mm -hmm. um you know if there's another round of lockdown and redundancies and stuff, it might swing to unicorn again, but... I had a theory about the whole unicorn thing, and I wondered if it was because the market had become, I'll use the word, saturated with contractors who were potentially going to go into permanent work. Um, you know, first of all, as Stuart was saying, you know, there was the whole IR35 thing. When that wasn't a thing anymore, it was because, you know, we were going into lockdown. Um, 
do you think that companies were advertising for unicorns because they thought they could just grab all of these contractors with all of these skills um you know they may never use half the skills that they're asking for even if they had them you know do you think that's got an element of it that companies were just seeing an advantage and making a grab or um you know did they genuinely need those skill sets from my perspective and i'm happy to dive over to someone that was actually doing hiring <laughs> but um I've, I've seen a lot um in the past um where people just they don't know what they want quite a lot of like hr um, departments get involved in writing these specs and it is just a case of here's a load of technology and it's not focused um to, to what a tester um or what specific tester they want yeah i mean i, mean, I was asking you that because you've been through the process of going for those unicorn jobs I guess so if you've spoken to other people you know I, I have and I know that you know companies were being uh, were asking for outrageous things you know but just because they were in that position that strong position and they could now maybe the, it's a bit more balanced but again you know just another lockdown and that might change again you know and we'll go back to these you know weird and wonderful job descriptions okay thank you Callum uh Nuria you're next. Yeah, I think a lot of things have been um, covered in, in what we're all saying. Um, at Distributed, we were kind of blessed to be in a position, um, I believe similar to Donna, where yeah. um, we, we didn't let anyone go, but we were hiring for contractors. And you could just tell, it, similar to you, Nicola, it was um, sometimes a little bit devastating to see candidates being burnt out and they were burnt out before yeah. going into anything um yeah. and just the the desperation at that stage you could just see it really affecting people and it's something that um obviously we haven't seen um pre-covid mm -hmm. um one thing that i did want to touch upon is the fact that covid just from a process perspective in the qa market i feel like has definitely accelerated the need for um just quality um with speed. So the speed expectations have suddenly shifted into overdrive while yeah. trying to ma manage costs, uh, therefore driving a balance between faster delivery and also budget for some organizations. And you can just mm -hmm. tell. So we work with a lot of different projects and different companies, and you can tell some of the clients that we get in or customers that we get in, that is the focus. It's um, we need to deliver this fast. So mm -hmm. it's uh, been, um, I would say, exciting in a way because it's something that we've been focusing on which is driving a quality first approach mm -hmm. to be able to um implement quality processes to fit that customer's particular need um so yeah i, I wanted to focus more on the the process side of things um and how retrospectives have definitely helped in maintaining a quality bar uh during this during this time from an end of projects perspective yeah, I mean, I didn't actually have any questions in there about, uh, you know, do you think that maybe I'm, I'm not going to ask you to say your own company, but do you if you've been paying attention to any other, I think obviously the, the news is full of issues with systems right now, um, you know, and obviously it means that people have been doing, you know, companies have been doing that. They have been trying to, you know, drive delivery still whilst we've been in lockdown, still trying to be at the levels they were at before lockdown and therefore, you know, being able to deliver on time and on budget. But I think that's come with a loss of quality. Obviously it has, we can see that from, you know, 
test and trace website we can see everything that's in the news at the moment about systems and i seem to be quite sensitive to it and, and you know thinking oh my god every time i hear about something else you know um it's clear that quality has you know been sacrificed a bit and i hope that these situations although they're terrible i hope that they are now going to make companies pay more attention to quality and bring it back to the forefront yeah, what we found is that we were able to go into an opportunity of actually educating companies into, about quality and the mm -hmm. importance of quality when it comes to whatever product delivery that they're trying to achieve. So it's mm -hmm. almost been a, you know, as well as being the software development arm for companies, it's also been a, hey, let's, let's talk about quality. Let's mm -hmm. talk about why this is needed and why this is important um, and uh, a better process that would meet your desires. So there's a consultancy element to it too absolutely yeah and that just uh, even if your company wasn't in that that you know on that road to being like a consultancy i think that's probably what's happening now a lot of companies are having to pick up that type of work and 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 that approach <laughs> i've got thumbs up going crazy on my ipad beneath me um, i'm Nuri, thank you very much i'm, I'm going to move on to marie um she's next yeah, I mean, uh, most of the points have already been, you know, covered because uh, within our team as well, we've actually um, paused, you know, hiring for, you know, QA roles. So we've just sort of, you know, gone on a route that, okay, we just need to advocate that since we don't have a lot of QAs, it should be like everyone's responsibility, you know, to do the testing. Um, some things that I've noticed though, and um, it's it's a bit opposite to what Callum noticed because I recently um, saw this, um, this job uh, this job advert for uh, for an estet, and um, I think you're you're right that they try to condense you know a lot of the technologies, a lot of these um, these buzzwords. And when I was reading it, it was just confusing. Like, do you want a full stack developer or do you want a QA engineer? Or do you want an estet? Yeah. And I think you know, it doesn't help that there's still this perception that everything should be automated. Because one of the key things that actually um, threw me off on that um, advert is the, it says that, oh, everything must be automated. So this is not a job role for people who like to test manually, which I think, you know, that's that's completely um, untrue because there's always a place for people who love to do exploratory testing and you just mm -hmm. can't automate, you know, everything. So I think there's this still misconception that, you know, everything should be automated. And I think maybe, you know, lockdown has also um, triggered that because they think that, okay, with automation comes, you know, more speed and it's just really like, you know, it's it's there to help, but not to replace, you know, manual testing. I think there's, um, you know, to, to, to back that up 100%, there are, um, you know, things happening. So like, for example, this meeting is actually partially in, you know, in conjunction with BCS um, and BCS software testing group. We're involved in a lot of the, the discussions around standards and a lot of the documentation for quality is being updated at the moment so and it's purely because of what's happening right now in the world and you know the, the fact that we've got to focus on new new technologies and things like that so you know i'm hoping that with the um you know with the the new updates to standards people might start to um, introduce those within their companies again and um you know that would give you the basis for and an understanding and it helps you to communicate the things like the fact that 
you can't automate any everything there are parts of processes for systems that are naturally you know by their nature they're they're offline processes for example or you know you won't find um you know you won't find bugs just by running automation packs every week seeing a green light every week on a pack of tests does not mean that you're testing the system and it's everything's green and passing you know and it's if you know if companies have been in the habit of only hiring like software developers in tests with a more of a leaning towards being developers i think that's changing as well now and we're seeing more teams hiring people with more of a qa background and you know um that's becoming more prevalent again i think and we're looking for more of those analysis skills and and being able to do exploratory testing really well um and just being clever about the way you're testing it it's not it's not just about automation but automation obviously is key and needed but it's 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 complementary that's what i think yeah, yeah. um <laughs> i hope you're reading linkedin <laughs> <laughs> um okay so who is next in between all the other messages that everyone keeps on sending i'm so sorry i've I lost everybody alan i think it's you next yeah i was just gonna say that in in times of trouble in times of trauma that's when you know the weakest links kind of fall apart and that's true in systems as we've seen so many places crumble under the load things like online deliveries trying to in retail particularly kind of struggled. So, um, and I think that same thing, uh, I've seen a lot of interest in um, performance related uh, roles now. I've seen a lot yeah. more interest in education as well, in terms of people wanting to get better au fait with, um, with load testing, with um, performance testing to, and, and companies have suddenly had an interest in that area where they might not have had so much attention to it before. Um, and I think the, that same principle applies to the hiring process as well. So uh, places where had a kind of half-hearted hiring process, they, they now suddenly get exposed by the things yeah. that you've all been saying that if you kind of only partially knew what you wanted or you wanted the best around or whatever that means, suddenly that becomes difficult if you have 500 people apply well how do you work out the best if you don't know what you want yourself so i think it's an interesting thing that this kind of crisis has highlighted these these kind of gaps and um you know the 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 teams the organizations who've invested in that kind of thing um probably barely noticed and the ones who never really paid it that much attention to it are now suffering to, to either to hire people or or to to get their teams in order yeah oh okay <laughs> i think we're about to lose dono for um, a moment but he said he'll be back so um okay thank you alan i think you were the last one on that question so i'll move on to the third my probably my biggest question here um so quality and teams are being pushed to the forefront again as i as i mentioned earlier we've got the very very public issues with the use of ai models in the news um recently and obviously test and trace website which i hear about all day long if you listen to the radio enough 
Um, do you think that testers will want to stand out from the crowd with certifications and professional memberships? What are your views on these and do you see them becoming more or less important as we move forward? Who wants to go first? Nobody's putting their hand up. Stuart, you go, go for it. And then, uh, oh, and then, was and that, then Alan. Okay. That was that Stuart awkward first. silence moment, wasn't it? Yeah, that that's the first one. Um, I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I think I, I, so I'm not a big fan of certifications. I don't think, mm -hmm. you know, I think people, like some people like certifications and, and certs and stuff. Personally, you know, I think that's great. And I think, you know, the, the, the reward in that for me is the learning rather than the certificate you get out of the back end of, of anything, you know, for me. But I think in, in terms of, you know, I think what this is, this is showing us is, and it comes to you know, uh, something that, that Alan was, was mentioning around as well, around that more broader skill set of, you know, what, what we need to kind of um, adapt to. So, you know, we need to think more around, you know, having skill sets within performance and, you know all these other all these other areas that maybe we, you know um, our QAs would have kind of thought about before. Um, and you know, whilst we talk about the unicorn, I think you know really what the the roles are going to kind of evolve more into is quality advocates and really coaching quality into teams yeah, more uh, and that shared ownership. And I think that um, the that will be kind of how I feel though things will kind of move forward and evolve more so than necessarily chasing certificates and you know uh, and you know that kind of thing you know that there's 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 always going to be organizations out there that kind of like what Callum was saying earlier that want to 250 years worth of experience on x and there's 1200 certificates on y you know um but I think you know in in the industry I think we, we've become more more aware of actually that all round kind of mindset more or less not just you know not, not necessarily technical skills but mindset around quality um and that's really when i when i recruit that's what i'm really trying to go after is that mindset of okay you don't have you know you can't code in 17 languages but you can damn well hold your own in a conversation about how you you build quality into a product and understand your customer and, and you know where you can test for quality throughout your process and stuff like that so that for me is i think is is a lot more important and you know where than certifications but mm -hmm. good thank you very much okay um alan you're next so yeah i'm i'm kind of a, on a similar kind of um uh position on that in that the knowledge and the development like what i was talking earlier about kind of education it doesn't have to be a certification but you know just the ability to be able to do something and an interest in it uh, i think that's really boomed in the, the past half year that that i know lots of people who are doing lots of courses either formal or informal that they had never would even thought about before um mm -hmm. and and actually getting a lot out of it um and becoming better people better professionals as a whole from it mm -hmm. and i think from that point of view the whole market to go back to the market uh, kind of um question i think that area will uh, that that kind of movement is creating a better rounded skill set from a lot of people and on the other hand it's also creating a lot more specialized 
um, uh, skill set from a lot of people. So I think that's actually kind of a fork kind of direction. It's kind of going, kind of going two ways in a sense. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a lot more all-rounders and a lot more specialists yeah. uh, rather than like a, a wide spectrum. I think it's going to be, you know, that con- whole education area rather than certification. I think that's mm-hmm. that's creating that kind of um, direction. Yeah. I mean, so you can actually, I mean, obviously we know each other outside, right? So um, we've met people before who had no skills at all, any no experience at all in QA who wanted to become QAs. And for those people, do you not think that, you know, they've been told, go and do an, go and do an ISTQB foundation and that will be enough to get yourself a job? You know how angry we've got about that before. You know, how does, how, do you think that that is actually valid? Do you think that still, do you think that could help somebody to get a job if they never had any experience? Because obviously we're talking about people who already have experience becoming more rounded with their skills and experience. Do you think that somebody with no skills at all who wants to get into, into testing could potentially benefit from having certification in, of, some, of some description? I think it can form part of that um, journey. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, I, I think again, to go back to what I was saying earlier about the employers who don't necessarily know what they, they want, it's an easy answer to say, I'm looking for a tester. What's a test certification? That's the most popular one. There you go. Yeah. Whereas it, on its own, I don't think it does anything. It, it needs to be part of the package. And I definitely wouldn't say it's a bad thing to have, you know, if I saw somebody's CV with it on that I wouldn't think, Oh no, not another person with another certification. It's not that kind of, uh, you know, impression you'd get, but I think it can form part of the the journey. Um, it's one of your, one of your rucksacks out of the, out of the baggage you, you bring along your journey Mm. rather than, you know, in itself it's not really going to get you much fair enough thank you um nuria you're up next yeah i agree with everything that um alan and um stuart have mentioned um i think it's not a bad thing to have it um if it's linked to experience um if it's just a tester basically with with no experience uh getting the the certificate or getting certified um, in a way, it's like getting a diploma or a university degree without having any experience to, to back that up. So it can become more challenging to be hired. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think um, adding, um, getting certification with experience can increase uh, your marketability throughout the industry, especially in certain countries as well. Um, like in certain African countries, um, it does add that level of credibility a, a bit more. But mm-hmm. once again, once you have experience, um, but I'm a strong believer that um, strong adaptability to market changes, to system changes, software changes, and needs from a skills perspective, and even being customer facing, which I think is very, very important for yeah. QA, um, to be customer facing and have that experience to, to work with customers and having a portfolio that highlights that is just as important, especially during these times. Yeah, I think if you're investing in yourself and you're, you're, you're keeping your training up to date and stuff, I think you can become that all-rounded person that everyone, um, you know, is alluding to. But yeah, definitely. I think you're all right, to be honest. 
thank you, Maria. Um, I've got Marie next. Yeah, um, I really agree with what Nuria said, you know, about, you know, making sure that you have time to expand your portfolio and things like that. Because I think as a tester or, you know, with any um, like roles as well, I guess if you want to um, stand out, like certifications aren't enough. So for example, you know, um, I, I recently um, started blogging and that alone has given me a lot of, you know, opportunities, for example, speaking, you know, in this panel, whereas before I wouldn't even, you know, do all these things. So I think that's really helped. Um, and it just really solidifies what you're learning because if you're writing about it and if you're teaching, you know, what, you know, what you want to sort of say um, to your, um, to the people who's going to read your blog post, then that establishes that you have that core understanding of, you know, that subject. And I think um, certifications alone doesn't really sort of, you know, help that. You have to do a lot of the experience. You have to do a lot of the hard work. Because, um, for example, I actually did the ISTQB um, um, certified, you know, tester foundation when I was starting out. But or maybe I wasn't, you know, just listening, you know, when when I did the course, but I don't have any recollection of, you know, teachings about how to do accessibility testing. No, exactly. And, yeah, and I know Callum is like an accessibility advocate as well. And it's just really most, you know, recently that I've started learning about these things. And if I had just kept on my certification, I wouldn't even know how to do accessibility testing. He's look, he's writing more messages. <laughs> yeah, I think he's gonna speak <laughs> now. <laughs> he's next anyway. Tell him you're you're up. Go yeah. Um, so I yeah I just wanted to agree with uh, with the points that that people have um, just made about. Um, so Stuart's mentioned about um, coaching and advocating, and uh, you know mentioned about a portfolio, and then Marie said the best way to do that is about uh, blogging. I think people are going to be looking at um, people's online presence within the community, um, like events like this, um, blogging, but also getting involved in things like the Ministry of Test, just to showcase that they can work with people online and discuss and coach uh, and advocate for quality online with people. Because the more we're going to have to work online with people, the better those skills are <laughs> honed through um, forums like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Don't know. Is he here or? <laughs> yeah, you're here. Okay, that's that's okay. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, everyone. I agree with what everyone's saying there, and the only things I'd add. I mean, I did it myself when coming into the testing career back when it was called the ISEB. Yeah, uh, that's exactly yeah, what I did. Um, <laughs> to think about that. Yeah, it. I never found it useful, even in that first job. It was completely pointless in what it did. It only told people, yeah, I went and I was proactively finding out about testing. And that's what it told me. And you can do that in other ways as well. Um, I personally, in any job ad that I put out there for someone I'm recruiting, I purposely do not ask for certifications because mm -hmm. if you haven't provide them, but I want to know what skills and experience you can bring to the table. That, that's important, not what you've learned on the textbook. Mm -hmm. So even if the... I guess this goes out to everybody, but obviously I'm aware that we're, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time on this one. But even if these certificates and things, because obviously I, I'm not sure when ISTQB, how often that gets updated, for example. But if it started to include more modern techniques and, and um, you know, 
just more focused on how people are testing now do you not think that might be of benefit so like for example when people are trying to think about um you know um investing in their people they might think well you know they can do any like udemy course or something online but maybe having something with a bit of oomph you know uh, something with a bit more prestige behind them um you know for clients that might they, they they might want to look at CVs like I worked for a test consultancy. If we if we were to be put forward for a role, we had internal CVs that had to go to the clients and they had to vet them. And the things that they would want to see were what your qualifications were, and as well as the experience. Do you not think that maybe in some ways they do add a little bit of something to your CV? Or do you really think that they, because it seems like everybody just seems to think that they're no good, but actually I, I may be controversial and think that they have their place. I really would like to answer that because I think it's, um, I think there is a value. Like I said, I don't ask for it. It's up to the candidate to supply. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And then from there, we can have a conversation and how does that relate? Mm-hmm. Um, just your point on, could it become more valuable if they updated it? Um, I'll take the answer because this question was actually asked in my ISEB course. Oh, right. Okay. The um, guy doing the course. And he answered saying like, well, we could, but how do we cover everyone's way of testing? That Mm -hmm. would take a year of course. And that's not feasible. And that's why they don't. Um, So Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be feasible to do that. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Callum. Oh no, who's next? It's Alan. Alan, do you want to say something? And then we've got Callum and then I'm going to jump on to the last question. I'm just going to um, make the point that um, when you go on a course, it's not just about getting the certification, but also about meeting people and networking. And that aspect has totally also flipped on its head for me that um, the whole offline networking obviously kind of disappeared temporarily mm-hmm. and um, as Marie and, um, and in my case, the same, that um, suddenly you get the chance to teach as well as to learn. And there's so many options now for you to do so many different, to give courses, take courses. And um, the whole networking aspect of you get your peers who you can spend time with now. I think that's actually a really big aspect of the job. Yeah. Of job hunting process is that you also, because some people can get chains of jobs just by, networking rather than applying yeah Yeah. and that that's obviously an aspect that you get from from taking certifications uh, you know as a kind of a byproduct just wanted to Mm. kind of point that out as well well i actually think i used to network quite a lot and a lot of my friends were testers a lot um and i mean like socialize outside of work all the time and then suddenly i think the last the big recession hit in was it 2008 can you remember about that far I can't remember you're you're younger than me but anyway um I can't remember what exactly when it was but I can distinctly remember that suddenly we went from being friends to being um you know competition for each other and suddenly the number of friends I had who were QA just dropped off and it was uh, you know it was quite um, difficult to see because then that, that meant that I wasn't getting jobs as easily as I had done like you say word of mouth and someone knows you so they'll they'll tell someone about you I never got that anymore I had to actually start going to interviews <laughs> that was you know it was crazy to me I had to do the process that everyone else does so yeah I can um, relate to some of what you were saying okay 
I won't say where Marie is right now, so I'll, I'll go on to um, the final question, which I have to scroll all the way up for. Um, okay, so final question is, what are your predictions for changes in testing post-COVID? E.g. changes to any of our skills, roles, the way we, you know, um, have teams, and maybe even if somebody ha is contract or has been contract here, if they could talk about what they think about the differences for permanent resource and versus contract. And um, let's see who's coming up. I can go. Oh, whoa, I've got, no, I've got quite a few people. I think, I think maybe my network's gone a bit funny, but um, I've got, oh, what's going on here? it's a thumb oh i think i think callum wants to go first i'm not sure why he's plus running callum oh it's not dono do you want to go next go for it i think callum was first there yeah that's what i, I thought but he decided he was fed up and putting the thumbs up so um I really think that in, in the short term, where, where we have people that are more devolved uh, and there's going to be more focus on people working individually from home, there might be a short term dip in things like um, collaboration. So those skills where we talk about exploratory testing, uh, which is a lot about um, finding information and sharing it to people, may well sort of drop off in the short term. Uh, mm -hmm. And we'll focus a lot more on um, checking over testing. So we'll, we'll have um, a strong push towards automation, um, especially yeah. for CICD. Uh, and then even go as far as to look for cheap um, sort of manual checkers as well for things. So um, sort of like pushing to, because we've, we've seen that working on camera works, what about offshore testing um, again? So um, I think there'll definitely be a strong shift towards um, software developers in test uh, and automate everything approaches. Um, and then um, potentially even like uh, back to the days of waterfall for, for quality as well. Yes, um, no, that, you're not lying. I actually have, I've, uh, maybe not fully waterfall, but I've seen like, you know, you have Wagile um, yeah. and all those kind of like hybrid. Yeah, yeah, right. So I think that what's happening is that less Wagile, but I think people are taking maybe the better bits of waterfall like expanding sprints out to not just be two weeks now, but to maybe be a month to allow all the automation that needs to happen, you know, rather than trying to cram it all into two weeks, which is, you know, doesn't work for every project. But yeah, I see those type of changes coming. I definitely think maybe we went too far down the road with Agile and maybe people are trying to roll back a little bit until they get used to it. Yeah. Um, thanks, Callum. Right. Dono, now it's your turn. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I so I completely hear what you're saying there. How I take the approach on this is actually I I, I think we need to work a bit smarter. Um, I see that. So personally, what I'm trying to do at my current um, job is actually remove the t the word or the title of QA because it comes with that historic connotation. Let me finish. I see you coming. No, no, I'm not saying a word. You go ahead. No, I'm listening. I'm um, it's not removing quality. It's just removing that actual word of quality assurance or QA because everyone just says, oh, QA is test. And that's wrong. It's completely wrong. Um, and everyone's just stuck in that old way of thinking. Um, so what I'm actually pushing for is now, look, the QA, your QAs of old, they're actually there to help you deliver. They're there to support you delivering quality products faster. Um, and with that, we are pushing the entire team to actually define their testing, to find their approach, to find how they're going to 
tackle the problem up front and write the tests and then code. And from that, you've actually all of a sudden freed up a lot of time. And at the end, you can say, right now, we can put in the human element where we're actually going to get value and properly exploratory test this with some proper focus and, and some time to actually allow you to do it properly as well. Um, mm -hmm. Too often, it gets too crunched at the end and you don't actually get any value out of what you're doing. So I think yeah. that's how I see it is changing and how it is going. Um, and I think this whole COVID side of things is only pushing it faster as people are wanting to deliver things faster these mm -hmm. days and seeing quality suffer like, well, how do we stop this? No, I absolutely agree. Alan, didn't you present about, um, you know, changing the names of roles and things like that? I'm sure you did. Yeah, I gave a talk a few months ago about that yeah. topic of QA. Yeah. So Dono, catch up with Alan afterwards because he can tell you all about it. Definitely. He's got some good ideas. Um, okay, thank you very much. Um, Stuart, you're next. Well, I, I think this is a really interesting question, right? Because I think that depending on the organization you're in, depending on your customers, this can go one of two ways, three ways, four ways, I don't know. Um, and it kind of comes back to um, something that uh, Nuri was saying earlier with that whole speed with quality. So a lot of organizations have jumped on the speed bandwagon because they think it's what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And they've jumped into CICD because again, it's what they think they need to do without mm -hmm. really reflecting on, well, do we actually need to do it? Um, so one of the things that I, I, when I, when I rejoined Dunelm at the start of last year, the, the, that they, you know, really gone full, full steam ahead with continue getting to continuous deployment, not just CI and continuous delivery, but just automatically deploying this stuff into production. That's where they mm -hmm. wanted to be. Um, but we didn't have the working practices to the left of that. And this is where real shift left comes in Yeah, to have the, to build the quality in before we even push our PRs up or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, we could, I mean, it's to be fair these days, it's pretty damn easy to build a pipeline that get, get you from A to B really, really quickly. You may have a few tests in there. You may have hundreds of tests in there, but those tests may not add any value. Mm -hmm. And that's so, so one of the things I've kind of been working with the guys on very heavily to start with is very much kind of what you were saying there, Donna, in terms of you know, your QAs are there to help you build quality into your product. They're not just there to test for quality later. So we, we, the whole conversation was very much about, right, let's slow down and then let's start to speed back up. And actually, let's only go as quick as we really need to go, right? Because... Are our, are our customers ready for, you know, 20, 30 releases a day? They might not even give a damn, right? So why are we trying to chase it if they don't care? You know, mm. so it's really understanding, you know, we talk about understanding our customers from a, you know, what do they want from a product perspective, but also how often do they want it? Yeah. Right? And these things will really drive, you know, how we kind of approach, you know, the, the, the quality side of things. Um, and where we, where we need to bake that quality in. And it, for me, it starts with understanding our customer actually at the far right to then feed that back into the far left. Because if mm -hmm. we don't understand our customer, then we're kind of blind and you know, we're, we're very much going to do something wrong. Um, so I think that that's for me is where we really need to, organizations really need to take a step back and go, do we really need to be doing this? And not just jumping on the bandwagon for the sake of it. 
do you think that well i guess that's that's correct and true but i'm just in my head thinking all of these companies who might be on the edge and thinking that you know if we don't work this quickly if we don't offer our clients what they want they'll just go to somebody else and we'll lose that business yeah so i think uh, and i think in those instances that that's where you really need to understand your customer yeah because it might be just a perception you have that they'll go to other businesses but if you, if you really understand your customer you understand what they value then then you can make that decision as to yes we need to release to our customer with quality mm -hmm. 30 times a day or yeah. it might be that you need to do it once every two weeks and then you can drive the practices that support and enable that and there's a lot yeah, of absolutely. obviously behavioral values that come with that as well um, and that's a lot of the time the whole behavioral value side of it is a lot of the time the stuff that gets forgotten yeah technology technology is is way beyond you know the behavioral value side of things you know it's there it can do stuff really quick happy days but if you don't have the behavioral values supporting it and the mindset you, yeah you're not going to benefit from from it really in, in all honesty mm. no i agree great so um i've got nuria on the list next she's got a thumb up yeah, this just goes with uh, what Stuart was saying, but um, in my opinion, testers being at the forefront of customer discussions, um, I think it's absolutely important um, and the testing team have an important role in understanding very clearly the project requirements as well as the customer requirements from day one. Um, it gives the customer not only confidence in what is being delivered from an expertise perspective, but it also gives the team major confidence in what is actually being produced. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that um, in terms of changes that are happening, um, I think it's a quality first approach is being taken in a lot of different industries. And by quality first approach, I mean developers um, and uh, not only developers, but testers having a DevOps um, mindset when it comes to testing and ensuring mm -hmm. that testing is embedded from the start. Um, so from the projects gathering scoping stage, um, and having that prevention in the beginning before going into the detection side of things. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, okay, next is Marie. Yeah, I think um, in terms of, you know, what new skills are going to, you know, be more important post-COVID, because um, I definitely think accessibility and security testing is something that's going to be much more pushed um, towards the left, because, you know, we've got, um, like, like normal things now, you know, that, you know, everyone can do, it can be easily accessed online. So we need to make sure that it's also accessible um, by mm -hmm. everyone. And I think um, because of, you know, COVID, um, in my opinion, I think it's put a big emphasis on that because, for example, if you need to do like groceries or, you know, other things, you can just do it online. So I think as testers, we have that responsibility that we need to make sure that it's also accessible, you know, like by, uh, by, uh, by everyone. And I've seen a lot of, you know, um, tools, you know, that, you know, we can now use nowadays. And it's just really um, making sure that we do it um like further you know up you know the um the cycle rather than thinking of it as an afterthought yeah mm -hmm. that's 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 cool i think you're the last person um okay so we've kind of come to the end of all of our questions thank you everybody some 
fantastic answers actually um and some really good conversation i've seen lots and lots and lots of comments and questions um i don't know if anyone can see i think i think um callum's been answering some of them uh let me see if i can see any bear with me if possible, as it's at the bottom there, um, Stephen Now's comment around. Yeah, go for it. Grab one of those. The whole thing of it should be the business analysts um, taking the like customer focus side of things. It, yeah, being customer centric in your role, I think, is incredibly powerful and will really help you to drive quality mm -hmm. uh, far more easier than if you don't have it. Um, yeah, for example, take take it as if you've got say a code bug in from a code scanner that just says oh this is this would provide this sort of error but actually for the customer it provides no error but the whole code that was delivered there provides immense value does it matter no um the customer's happy and the customer's getting value and that's what's important so i think having that view of what the customer wants and what the customer values as quality is absolutely important yeah it's very important um, can anyone see, um, I know Callum's in the, um, in the chat. Callum, can you see any questions that anyone had? Yeah, so there's a good one here um, about what's um, our view on um, language still, skill certifications um, and how you can be a much more effective tester with polyglot reading skills. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'll jump straight into that if that's cool to say, I find that, um, especially around coding and so on, um, as a tester, it's good to know enough to be dangerous, to help the team with what's needed, uh, and to be able to maybe help on reviewing um, like unit tests and integration tests and service level tests, um, maybe support writing those, and also set your framework up uh, if, if that's the direction you're going in. Um, where they're really, really useful is giving you a bit of kudos or a bit of heft when it comes to engaging with um, and collaborating with the developers on your team. Mm -hmm. If they can see that you've got technical skills and you've got the, the oomph to back that up with, that collaboration is going to be um, a lot more like peer-to-peer -peer as well. So that's like a really good um, direction to sort of like look at um, those sort of coding language uh, certifications. Okay. Um, did really anyone else point. see any questions there? Yeah, I was just going to follow up on that and say, okay. I think that that's a really good point in terms of the perception of value of the QA team that by knowing more languages, by knowing any coding languages and also understanding your customer and all the other things that are involved in delivering the software product to the end to end kind of process. It, and all of that gets away from what Donna was talking about, the old fashioned, test who sits in a cupboard and taps on the keys and says, I've done 2000 tests and five of them failed, but I don't know why that, yeah. that gets it totally away yeah. from that kind of, um, the, that kind of perception that, you know, test people just test and that's the, that's their purpose. If okay. the, the more you know about your customer and the more you know about coding all goes towards making your value better as, as a team yeah no i agree um we've had a few people who've had to drop off panel wise um do we want to try and wrap up for now um 
We just, I'm not sure. We could probably go through some of the questions and answer them offline, actually. I'm not sure um, how we would do that, but um, we get everyone's details. We could email out answers or something. So just, just I think there's a follow-up uh, question there from Patrick, and that okay. question is, can, 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 you, can you go jump into automation testing with no testing experience? So I, I, think, I think this is a really interesting question because there's a lot of, lot of discussion around, you know, um, in the industry around, you know, learning automation. You know, how, how can I automate? How do I automate? And not enough around why you would automate. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time we, we think about the technical capability of doing you know, coding and doing some automation rather than why we do it and actually really understanding where it fits into our, our practices and, you know, and, and workflows and stuff like that. And I'm having this conversation with some of my guys um, in, in the team at Dunelm right now and you know, I'm doing kind of um, personal development uh, reviews with them and it's really around, you know, some of them are saying to me, I need to learn automation. So my question back to them is, why? You know, why do you need to learn automation? Talk to me about why you feel as though you, you, you think that's, that's, cause I'm not telling them they have to, I, you know, nobody's telling them they have to. And it's, it's a real kind of um, concern out there in the industry that they, they need to, they need this. They have to do yeah, it. They, they have to have it or else there'll be no good to anyone if they apply for something. Exactly. Yeah. But for me, the value really comes in the understanding of why you would automate something, yeah. where yeah. and when, not just being able to do it. So, yeah. you know, just learning, you, you, yeah, you can absolutely learn automation frameworks and automation checking or whatever we want to call it on today or tomorrow or whatever without having any testing experience because it's just technology, right? But understanding when and how and why you use it, that's the big thing. And don't ever, yeah, that's the thing that people need to remember. Good answer. I hope that answered um, your question, the person who posted. Um, have we got any more that we want to try and answer? I thought that one tied quite neatly into Mahul's question earlier around what, what about codeless um, automation tooling? I saw that pop up, yeah. And there's a lot of debate about this being on LinkedIn recently, which is, is great. Um, and it comes right back down to why, why do you need to do it? And, and making sure that you're clear on the purpose of bringing it in. Mm -hmm. so where I work, yes, I brought in a codeless scripting AI front-end automation and the reason behind that is let's get the front-end tested with that because it's easy to maintain and it's cost us less for maintenance so we can buy time for all the other stuff we need to do yeah that's the purpose it's not that it's the best tool it's the best tool to buy me time for my team to do better things um and yeah I think that's a key thing around that just to back what Stuart was saying good Right. Um, I think we can wrap up there. Thank you, everybody. It's been brilliant. Um, I think we've got deeper into conversation than I thought we would. But yeah, we've done really well. In fact, I could foresee us doing another something like this, but maybe not on COVID, but on another subject. It would be really great to get together with all of you again. <laughs> I've seen all the hand claps. Thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> that's so nice um okay um ashley do you want to um close off are you 
happy yeah, to join. Yeah, certainly. Firstly, thank you very much, Nicola, for um, facilitating this and, and, and hosting and obviously helping to organise um, everything with the guys at BCS. Um, also, everybody on here, Alan, uh, Callum, Nuria, Dono, Stuart and Mary, who, who's left, thank you very much for for partaking and, uh, and putting together such a great panel um, and, and yeah, this great talk, um, like, like Nicholas said, I can see already all the, all of the, uh, the positive feedback coming through um, as well. So thank you very much for this. Um, everybody that's obviously joined us um, this evening as well, thank you for attending. Um, we will send out the recording of this um, probably tomorrow afternoon. So um, obviously that's there for you to, to, to view back, share as much as you can. And uh, again, any questions, please feel free to reach out and we can obviously try and get those answered as well. Um, also on a personal note for anyone that's, uh, that's on here as well, if you're looking for any further information on you know, the current market, um, any sort of you know, your personal situation, feel free to reach out to myself. Um, you know, we can set aside some time to have a conversation around the state of the current market. You know, we are seeing positive signs. You know, things are picking up. Um, like the guys say, there's changes within the job specs. And, you know, that now that teams are looking again or, or able to look again, and, uh, you know, that there are things that are in, in the pipeline and, uh, and obviously positive signs. So if I can help in any way, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Um, likewise, if anyone's hiring and they need any help, um, feel free to reach out to me also. And uh, I'm sure we can, uh, we can help out there too. But uh, no, thank you very much, everyone, tonight. And um, hopefully we uh, see you all soon. Take care, guys. Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. I personally recommend Ashley. He got me my current role. He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> really thank good. you very much, Dono. <laughs> well, you better Cheers find him in the next one as well. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> thank you.